Howdy, folks. Today, we are going to talk about how most churches and or preachers or whatever they call themselves are seeking to destroy you. And as I thought about this lesson, and now I've got a lot of motivation behind it, I there were a lot of directions we could go. If I wanted to do podcasts on false teachers and false doctrines, I'd never run out of material. There are so many things out there, and every time I think that I've heard it all, <laughs> I hear something, and I'm like, oh, wow, I can't believe that. And I just, I get amazed at how many false teachers, churches, and doctrines are out there. And, and you know, there are some that are very easy to identify, and then there are others that are what Jesus warns about Matthew 7, 15 through 20, wolves in sheep's clothing, where they teach 95% of the truth, but the 5% that they teach that's error is hidden or subtle. And those are the dangerous ones. And, and the dangerous ones also teach false doctrine by way of omission. And what I mean by that is they don't teach anything on certain subject matters or they don't teach the whole subject matter, or they stay away from certain context in the Bible that might conflict with some of their members or whatever the case may be. Because let's face it, folks, religion in this world is and has become a business. And it's about filling seats in a building and money in accounts. And that is all wrong. The purpose of the gospel is to save souls. The church, like the ark in the days of Noah, is a vessel of salvation. And Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, as Paul is writing the saints in Ephesus, he says the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The body is the church. Ephesians 1, same letter, verses 22 and 23, hath put all things under his feet, gave him the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now listen. The Bible gives us a lot of warnings, and we're going to get into it. We're going to get into quite a few things in this podcast. I hope you're going to listen because we're going to go to the book. We're going to go to the Word of God, and I hope you will think about it. You can hit that pause button. You can study context and everything else. But while there are many directions I could have gone in this podcast, I decided upon one because it's common. It's common. I mean, everywhere I look, it's not hard to find. I examine a church. I examine a preacher, doesn't take very long. 95% of the time, I'm seeing churches and preachers that are teaching that you cannot live without sinning. They are outright justifying sinful behavior. We're going to see what the Bible says about that. Uh, even when they say you can stop sinning, they turn around and contradict themselves in some other ways. You know, I want to give you some quotes and I'm even going to play something for you to listen to just because it blows my mind. You got to hear it. I don't even want you to, I don't want, I don't want to read it. I want you to hear it. Uh, but there are different things like the Catholic church. I mean, just in that, the Bible doesn't mention the Catholic church, doesn't mention a Pope, many things that are wrong about Roman Catholicism that aren't really hard unless you're caught up in family tradition and everything else. If you're studying the Bible you should be able to see it. You know, in Matthew 23, 9, call no man your father upon the earth for one is your father which is in heaven. The context is talking about religious titles, not to be called rabbi. Hey, there's there's a, you know, a contradictory modern day Judaism. 
uh, or master, etc. So, I mean, we see all this. It's easy to go. But the Catholic Church, usacatholic.org forward slash articles forward slash 201507 forward slash r hyphen we hyphen living hyphen in hyphen sin forward slash says this. Are you living in sin? The answer to that question is yes. We are all living in sin. We are all sinners. That's the doctrine of the Catholic Church. You're all sinners. Uh, A second quote from sermoncentral.com, and and it's uh, it's a long URL. How about this? Uh, I'll give you the name of the guy who said it. Dr. David Hullum has a sermon on there, and he says, Be not deceived. We are all sinners. It's sermoncentral.com forward slash sermons forward slash B hyphen not hyphen deceived hyphen we hyphen are hyphen all hyphen sinners hyphen dr hyphen David hyphen Hullum hyphen sermon half hyphen on half hyphen deception hyphen 242192. Long, right? Longer than the quote, the, the URL. I uh, looked that up. Uh, the Locust Grove Church of Christ in Cookville, Tennessee, says this on lgchurchofchrist.org. We are a loving and dynamic family who loves the Lord and one another. The Bible is our book of doctrine. We are all sinners in need of God's saving grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Gotquestions.org forward slash born hyphen sinners dot html quote yes the bible teaches we are all born sinners with sinful selfish natures these folks are calvinist uh they teach that uh you are born with a sinful nature you can't help it you're gonna sin uh, you know can i can i give you something real quick uh, okay i gotta contain uh, uh, let me keep going I, i'll stop we'll get to the scriptures and everything if you could just see me right now i, I I'm just trying not to jump out my chair. All right. So I I, want to give you this one. I want to give you this one. And I'm going to title this Houston, We Have a Problem. (laughs) And the reason I'm titling it that is there is a group of preachers and churches in the Houston, Texas area. And what I'm about to give you is a quote by a false teacher. This guy is out there named Henry Stevenson III. And I came into contact with this guy because a few weeks ago, somebody came here to El Paso and they called me on a Friday night. And this guy, uh, his name was Clovis. He says, he's come to El Paso and he's looked for a congregation uh, to worship with. And right away, you've already told me everything I need to know about you. You waited until, you know, not even a full two days before the saints assemble, where you've left your family, your local congregation, and you've come, and this is when you're trying to find faithful people to assemble with, if that's even the goal. I found out it doesn't matter to him. As long as we would serve him the Lord's Supper, he didn't care much about anything else. He was just looking for people who would be more agreeable than disagreeable to what uh, he believed. And when I was talking to him on the phone, he said, hold on, I got to call this preacher. Uh, He's got to meet you because you're awesome and I want him to meet you. And he calls this Henry Stevenson III. And then both of them told me to check out Wilson RDCOC on YouTube. 
Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N-R-D-C-O-C on YouTube. And these guys were just hyper about it. And they told me I could, you know, come and check them out and invited me to join some class they got and all this other stuff. They didn't know anything about me. Uh, really, just a few minutes of conversation is brother, 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 brother. Look, the Bible, the Bible teaches us to to test people, not to assume that they're faithful, but to test them. And there was none of this. This, this guy that was visiting here, uh, he he didn't he didn't know at all whether or not I was faithful, uh, but. He, he wanted wanted to jump in anyway. So what I'm going to do with this, the Houston, we have a problem group of people and preachers. I want to play something off their YouTube uh, channel. And, and, and I listened to about eight different things that's on there. And every one of them had false doctrine in them. This particular one is titled uh, Grace and Mercy. What is it? It's on their YouTube channel of... Uh, Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N-R-D-C-O-C. And the reason I listened to this is the guy that called me, Clovis and I, we got in a discussion on divorce and remarriage. And he, he, he said, you know, if you get divorced and remarried for reasons other than fornication, that, that it is an adulterous marriage. But that's okay because what covers that is God's grace. And I couldn't, I was just, so you admit that you're in an adulterous marriage, but God's grace. So I was wondering if these guys teach that same thing. So I want you to hear this. I want you to hear what these preachers, and they're from quote unquote, churches of Christ. That's uh, not the church of Christ you read about in the Bible. They're from a modern day denomination that is absolutely no different than the Catholic church or the Pentecostal church, etc. from similar movement and time period. Um, and they may teach different things than those groups of people, but their mentality is the same. They hold to their traditions and they twist the scriptures to defend them. So I'm going to play from the 48 minute mark of, of grace and mercy. What is it to 5145? And I just want you to hear it. I, I don't even want to tell you, you got to hear this. You ready? Here we go. What we do, brothers and sisters, we judge cases. Okay, let's just say that uh, I divorced my wife. I'm going to make sure you get this. She is unmarried. Okay, I divorced her. Now I'm married to somebody else. Now, what is she supposed to do? Here's what our brothers say. They say, well, what you do, what she got to do is she just got to stay single for the rest of her life. Not even scripture that says that. Because the scripture says she's unmarried, and if she's unmarried, then it's better to marry than to burn. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying to you? See, you have to understand that. What if I divorce her and I'm married to somebody else? She didn't do nothing wrong, but I just got my eye on somebody else and I married this other lady. Now, what does she do? What is she? She's unmarried. How do I counsel her? She's unmarried now. The counsel is it's better to marry than to burn is it adultery? Yes. I'm going to make sure you get this. I want y'all to get this. If she marries someone else because a divorce took place for a reason other than fornication, God has labeled that adultery, the law. Well, why is it adultery? Because the one man and the one woman rule for life has now been broken by a reason other than fornication. So 
What is God saying the remedy is? I'm going to give you. She's caught between two laws now, isn't she? She's caught in between if I get married, it's adultery, but it's better to marry than to burn. She's caught in between the law, which is good, and marriage, which is good. See, marriage, just like Matthew 12, the priest, caught in between circumcising, which is good, and circumcising on the Sabbath day, which breaks the law, which which the Bible says don't work on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. So this is where mercy, brothers and sisters, triumph law. You know, brothers and sisters, this is what God has been trying to show us throughout the scriptures. When you and I look at the mercy seat, I want, to get, I want you to get this, the mercy seat, that piece of front, the Ark of the Covenant that went into the Holy of Holies, the, with the two cherubims on the end. It was where God met with the priest, the high priest. Over the Ark of the Covenant was a lid, which was called the mercy seat. Inside the Ark were three items. You had the law of Moses. You had Aaron's rod that budded. And you had a pot of man. Three things in there. Shows God chooses the leader, God provides the food, and God gives the law. He's the lawgiver. But over that is the mercy seat. Why is the mercy seat over those three items? Because what God sees from heaven and what God wants to give first and what triumphs law is mercy. Mercy. Jesus is called the perpetuation for our sins. He is our mercy seat. Please get that in your spirit. Jesus is our mercy seat. What the Father sees is those of us who are in Christ, he sees Jesus. This is why our life has to be hid in Christ. We don't want people to see us. We want people to see Jesus. I want to hide behind Christ. And Christ tells us where and when and how he gives mercy, okay? So I want to make sure you and I get that. You can get married again. Marriage is not a sin. Unbelievable, isn't it? You just heard this man, Henry Stevenson III, say that mercy is going to triumph the law and that you can be saved even though you're an adulterer. You know what Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says? Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You heard that, right? The, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, and then the list. As which I've told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What Henry there says is, no, mercy's got you. So God contradicts himself. God's a liar. You know what's amazing? If you kept listening in that video down to like an hour and three minute mark, and then a little bit forward in there, he goes on to say that a man can't dress like a woman, etc. He condemns being effeminate. He goes on to condemn being effeminate. Wait a minute. You know, what you have is the same thing you have in every one of these churches and preachers. 
They pick and choose what sins you can commit that God is going to overlook. And then they create some crazy stuff like mercy, the mercy seats over the law. I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I don't understand how somebody so stupid. Okay, I got to calm down. I got to calm down. Hold on a minute. Let, 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 let me, let me, let me calm down. Woo, folks, souls are at stake here. Souls are at stake. This, this is the worst thing that happens on earth. You know, you may see a child molester, which I don't know why they're not going to be saved, right? I mean, why doesn't the mercy seat cover that? Mm. I'm sure, I'm sure that Henry Stevenson would condemn the the child molester. Hey, until the day where the majority of his congregation is child molesters, then that dude is going to turn around and justify that too. I'm telling you, that's the problem. That's the problem. Uh, let me come back here. Let me rein this in. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus told the hypocrites, the scribes and the Pharisees, in verse 15, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte. What a proselyte is, is somebody that's new to a religion, a convert, somebody from the outside that you bring in, okay? And he says, and when one is made, you make him twofold the child of your hell than yourselves. The five quotes I gave you and could have went on and gave you millions. You know what the likelihood is? If you're listening to this and you're outside of just a very few select congregations in this world, the likelihood is your church teaches some form of this doctrine that we're all sinners. And you may you may step back and you may say, well, but that that that, that but what whatever. Listen, if the adulterer is going to be saved by mercy, then Galatians 5, 19 through 21 is false doctrine. Cut that out your Bible. How many other verses do you think you're going to cut out your Bible? How do you condemn murderers? Doesn't God have mercy on them? How do you condemn drunkenness? You know, when I was talking to uh, this guy, Clovis, that's from this uh, sect of false teachers and churches, the Houston We Have a Problem churches, the churches of adultery, um, I brought up Galatians 5, 19 through 21. In fact, I wouldn't get off of it. And I asked him, is drunkards going to be saved? Well, that's different. That's different because drunkenness is, is never good in the Bible. But wait, when's adultery been good in the Bible? You see, they twist these things in their mind. And you know what? That Clovis guy's divorced. And you know what? He told me, I, won't, I don't have evidence of what he told me. So I, I, I won't, it's, it's insane. The, the line of reasoning that these people take is just crazy. I don't know how you get a driver's license when you, I don't know how you answer questions on any test when you show an absolute inability to reason. If mercy covers sin, if mercy triumphs over law, which is what you heard that man say, then nobody's condemned for anything. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, this is okay and that's not. Folks, have you thought about this? Have you considered this? If the we are all sinners doctrine excuses one thing, it has to, to be consistent, excuse all things. Now you heard Henry Stevenson, you know, he understands that it's an adulterous marriage. He will go through Matthew 19, 1 through 12. 
He will talk about verse 9. He will say him that is or she that is remarried commits adultery. He understands those verses. He just explains them away with mercy. And this is what churches do. They twist the scriptures. They turn them upside down on their heads and they pick and choose what they want to obey. When they come across verses like Luke 16 and verse 18, whosoever put away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Then they come back to something like this. Mercy covers that. Grace covers that. Folks, think on this. What preachers and churches are doing today, and listen, we've got a long study ahead of us, okay? We're, we're going to cover a lot of scriptures. Stick with me. What preachers and churches are doing today is no different than what false prophets of old did. In Jeremiah 23, 14, I have seen in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all unto, unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. What the false prophets did was strengthen the hands of evildoers. When you tell somebody that's committing adultery that mercy is going to cover them, all you're going to do is justify their sinful behavior. In Ezekiel 13, 22 and 23, like Jeremiah 23, 14 says, because with lies, that's what God calls this, folks, with lies, you've made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I've not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. What he tell him? Therefore, you shall see no more vanity nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know I'm the Lord. Folks, today, today, it is of the utmost importance that we who have the treasure of the gospel Teach the truth. Well, you know what? Somebody that listens to Henry Stevenson III will say, but he gives scripture. He gives scripture. All false teachers give scripture. That's not new. Look, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, the evangelist Timothy is told by Paul, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Did you hear that? Yes, of long ago, people used the word of God incorrectly. And 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 18, of these things put them in remembrance, charging before the Lord that they strive not about words of no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. There are those that incorrectly divide the word of truth. And who do they focus on? They focus on, look, the, the problem with all these churches is addressed in part in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, where he says, this know also that in last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, 
heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. You hear that? You know, uh, when you're telling somebody, you've got the spirit of lust and God will be merciful to you, you're telling them that they can be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Let me continue to read. Having a form of godliness, do you hear that? They appear in some way to be godly. Text continues. But denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, never able to come to knowledge of truth. Folks, we live in an era where people can use Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and whatever else is out there. They don't even have to creep into houses anymore. Now people that don't know the truth, and maybe you're one of them, are made prey so easily because you click play. And these guys use scriptures, and then you say, well, they used a verse. And then you're drawn away. You know what happens when the blind lead the blind? Both fall into the ditch, Matthew 25, verse 14. Or Matthew, Matthew 15, I'm sorry, not Matthew 25. Matthew 15, verse 14. And when you read the context, when you go back to verse 1, Jesus uh, was approached by the scribes and Pharisees who wanted to teach the traditions of the Jews over the commandments of God. And that is what we find today. These churches, these preachers, or whatever you want to call them, have their own doctrines. And when you teach your own doctrine, that context of Matthew chapter 15, they draweth nigh, verse 8 says, they draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honor unto their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. When that occurs, you are lost because you're following them. You're following them. The instruction is, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. If the blind lead the blind, both that shall fall in the ditch. You are not excused because you believe a false doctrine. Listen, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, says, account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given un unto him, hath written unto you, as also in his epistles, speaking to them of which things and which some are hard to be understood, which they there to unlearn and unstable rest as they do with the other scriptures unto their own destruction. When you twist the scriptures, the result is your own destruction. So Peter went on and said, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the air of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Now look, the Houston, we have a problem churches they go back and they use Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're not under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was done away on the cross. Colossians 2 and verse 14, blotting out the handwriting ordinances was against us, contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Romans 7, 1 through 6, and many other verses show us we're not under the old law today. And unless I, I, I'm looking at the statistics in my podcast incorrectly. We got people all over the United States listening to this podcast, the Netherlands, Australia, different countries. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. I just looked yesterday. Uh, but um, we're all Gentiles. We're non-Jews. The law of Moses was given to the children of Israel. Under the law of Moses said, Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, when a man taketh a wife, married her, and come unto her, and she find no favor in his eyes, because he found some uncleanness in her. 
Let him write her a bill of divorcement, given it in her hand, send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. If later her husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement, give it in her hand, send her out of his house, or if that later husband die, took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After she is defiled, for there is abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God give thee for an inheritance. So this woman who is sent away, having this bill of divorcement, could be taken to be married. But when Matthew 19 comes around and other passages, but hey, if you go back and you listen to that podcast or whatever it is under Wilson Road COC or Wilson RDCOC, Grace and Mercy, what is it? They acknowledge Matthew 19, 1 through 12. They acknowledge that it's the truth. Now they try to tiptoe around it, but Jesus answered when the Pharisees came to him and they said, is it lawful for a man to put his wife, well, his wife for every cause? In Matthew 19 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said, have you not read that which from the beginning made the male and female and said, for this cause shall man leave his father and mother cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be what flesh? What they, what, wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. That's the law that Christ puts into effect that was from the beginning. They said unto him in verse 7, Why did Moses command her to give a writing divorce and put her away? He said to Moses, Because of the hardness of your heart, suffer you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Listen, Moses was a prophet of God. And Moses gave them permission as a prophet of God. And it was the will of God. Don't, don't, don't get that wrong. And I'm going to explain to you why. The scriptures tell us why under the old law, things were permitted that are not under the new law. Listen, David was a polygamist. Abraham was a polygamist. That's before the law of Moses came into effect. Solomon was a polygamist. There's a lot of polygamy in the Old Testament. You know what? You know what? I'm pretty confident that if you went to these churches that are using Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, like it applies today, if you asked them, can I have 10 wives right now in the same house? I'm pretty confident they'd say no. You know, outside of the Mormon church, most people will condemn polygamy and rightfully so because under the new covenant, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 2, which I know these churches use this text incorrectly, nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. That's doesn't authorize polygamy, restricts it, right? Moses, because the hardness of their heart, suffered to put away the wives from the beginning was not so. So Jesus said, I say unto you, whosoever, Matthew 19, 9 now, whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication shall marry another committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which put away doth commit adultery. His disciples say to him, if the case be of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. So Jesus answers them. He said to them, all men cannot receive this saying. Now what the false teachers do is they say that's Matthew 19, 9. No, that's what his disciples said. His disciples said, if the case be so with the man, it is not good to marry. Jesus said, all men cannot receive the same, saying who is given. That's the point of 1 Corinthians 7 uh, and, and that Paul is teaching. It's better not to get married was his counsel. He had authority from the Lord to give that counsel. But for those who had a right to marry, it was better to marry than to burn. Those guys play with those words. Jesus went on to say, there are some eunuchs which are born from the mother's womb. Some eunuchs were made eunuchs of men. 
and there be eunuchs which made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake, he is able to receive it, let him receive it. That's what he's talking about, being a eunuch. He's not talking about Matthew 19.9. It's crazy how these false teachers ignore every grammatical rule in Greek and in, in English and ignore context and ignore the whole of God's word to make adultery justifiable in contradiction of the scriptures. And when they go back to the Old Testament to do so, you know what Galatians 5, 1 through 4 says? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing, but I testify again to every man that is circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Do you hear that? If somebody's going back to the law of Moses and they're not turning in the new covenant and proving something from the words of Christ from Matthew to Revelation correctly in context as it would apply today. There's a lot of Bible study in that, right? Correctly handling the word of God. What's written to an apostle doesn't necessarily apply to me. I don't have the apostle's authority. There has to be a lot of reason and, and proper exercise of discerning scriptures. But if I'm going back to the old law to justify my doctrine, my position, my practice, I've fallen from grace. Hmm. Now, from what I've seen with Henry Stevenson and their churches, they're, they're no closer to being a Christian than Satan himself and never have. And I would imagine most of the people associated with their movement and their doctrine are so far from Christianity that they make Catholics look faithful, which is saying something. The Old Testament has its purpose. Those things that are written aforetime, written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Why did Moses, by the will of God, therefore why did God allow them to put away their wives, give them a writing divorcement, etc.? Acts 17.30, times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Acts 14.16, when times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. The Old Testament goal is this simple, to bring Christ in the world that salvation might come upon all men. The laws that were in place were for a purpose. In Galatians chapter 3, brethren, verse 15, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if confirmed, no man disannulled or added thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. And thus I say, the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels and the hand of a mediator. That was the purpose of the law. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's why God was permissive of them sinning. That's why polygamy is in the Old Testament, right? That's why you read of those things in the Old Testament. That's why David could take another wife and another wife and another wife. God permitted those things. You can't go back to the old law and say, look at what God permitted then. He permitted, it permits the same now. If you do so, you have fallen from grace. His purpose 
was to get Christ into this world through the bloodline of Abraham. And it is that simple. And that is the consistency of the record. Now, I want to come to the overall subject matter that I'm attacking. And I know I'm 35 minutes into this podcast and I got to kind of pick it up. And you know, if you know me, folks, you know, I get lit on these subject matters. Nothing in the world is worse than sending people to hell. Everything that man could do to you is nowhere near in comparison because this has eternal, eternal consequences. So I want to come back to this overall subject matter. I didn't mean to get off too much on adultery because it's all relative to this one subject matter that all these churches and these preachers are telling you that sin is okay. I said, they're leading you to destruction. They're going to destroy you. It's not me that's saying that. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, to you who are troubled, rest with us. When Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Vengeance on those that don't obey the gospel. Did you hear that? Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? In the book of Revelation, John told the seven churches in Asia Minor in Revelation 21.8, the fearful, unbelieving, abominable murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And listen, that is God's judgment on sinners. You know, there's a principle here and it, it just utterly blows my mind. I have no idea how somebody could take the word of God into this world to justify sin when it is the exact opposite. Listen to this principle. You want to scratch your head for a minute to the point of, of dandruff? Solomon wrote by inspiration in Ecclesiastes 9.18, Wisdom is the better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. How in the world could a gospel preacher know that? How could a church know that? One sinner destroyeth much good and somehow think that it's good to tell people they can continue in sin because that's what we all do. Well, listen, I'm gonna take you some scriptures. Do you know the command of which we will be judged is that we cease from sin? 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standing sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, let me show you a bunch of scriptures that teach the same thing all under the new covenant. And we could even do this out of the old, but I'm going to stick to the New Testament uh, on this point. In John chapter 5, there's an account of a man that is healed at a pool in Bethsaida. It's verses 1 through 14. After Jesus heals this man, I want you to hear what he told him in John 5, 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said to him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Did you hear that? People say, and, and you remember our quotes, are you living in sin? The Catholic Church says, the answer to that question is yes, we are all living in sin. Dr. David Hullam said, be not deceived, we're all sinners. The Church of Christ called Locust Grove Church Christ, Cookville, Tennessee, says we are all sinners, right? I gave you these quotes. GotQuestion.org, the Bible teaches we are born sinners. Henry Stevenson III outright just says God's mercy 
is going to outweigh God's law. I don't know why you study your Bible after you hear that, if you believe that. But Jesus said, sin no more. In John chapter 8, there's a woman taking the very act of adultery. And Jesus uses this time when they bring into him to, to be stoned, where he points out their inconsistency. They're convicted of their conscience, right? And this is the whole point of our podcast. How are you who are in sin judge anybody? That's, that's the truth, right? People that are in sin have no right to judge, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. You have to cast the beam out of your own eye that you can see clearly to cast out the moat in thy brother's eye. Well, in John 8, after Jesus tells this woman that he's not going to condemn her, you know what he says to her? He says what all these churches and these preachers are telling you is impossible. In John 8, 11, she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The apostle Paul, as he's talking about his work of, uh, as an apostle in preaching, in Acts 26, verses 18 through 20, he talks about what Jesus sent him to do, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but show first in them of Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. These preachers are telling you that's not possible. Now, hey, a lot of them will turn around and contradict themselves. It just depends on what subject matter they're preaching on. Some of these churches, it, they'll turn around and tell you, you must cease from A, B, C, or D, or you're going to go to hell. But then they'll turn around like, like the Houston, we have a problem churches that call themselves churches of Christ. Adultery is okay. Homosexuality is not, but adultery is. You know what? They both are fornication. Both of adultery and homosexuality are, are the same sin. They're fornication. Unlawful sexual intercourse. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Paul addressed this to the saints in Rome. In Romans 6, 1 and 2. What should we they say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He goes on. No, you're not. So many of us were baptized in Jesus Christ, were baptized into death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism and death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. And so we shall walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, died no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. When that he died, he died unto sin once, but he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And these preachers and these churches are telling you, Paul got it all wrong. The inspired apostle Paul has got it all wrong. Hey, same guy. Paul says to the saints in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I, one time... Ask the false doctor, about, false, false teacher, you have, to, you have to bear with me. I get a little worked up here about some of these very passages. And I camped right here in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. I said, is 1 Corinthians 15, 34, a white to righteousness and send not a command? And he said, yes. And I said, 
So then you are going to cease from sin. He said, but it's not possible. It's just not possible. And that's where grace comes in. Folks, so God gives us impossible commands. And if it's impossible not to sin, then do whatever you want. That's the logical conclusion. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you tell him what these preachers are really telling you. You tell Jesus, you suck. You made me broken and I can't help but be a sinner. Just tell him that. It wouldn't matter, right? I mean, he's just, hey, mercy, right? Isn't that, isn't that what Henry Stevenson said? Mercy triumphs law, right? Or he said, what triumphs law is mercy. That's the direct quote. Had to look back and grab that for you. That's not what these scriptures are teaching you, are they? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, Listen, having therefore these promises, that is that God will be your father and you be his sons and daughters, back in the previous chapter, verses 14 through 18, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In James chapter one, and you know what? Part of this, I've had other podcasts on this, some, some of which uh, our, our brethren have talked about. I know Brandon and I talked about this in a podcast we did. I can't remember what it was titled. But one of the problems is people also don't know what sin is. Sin is transgression of the law, okay? We'll get to that. Uh, we're going to read some scriptures that are going to show us that. And some people think, as soon as I get a thought in my mind, I'm a sinner. And they, they've been taught that incorrectly. I want you to hear the progression of sin and then the command that follows it. James 1, 13 through, through 16. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That teaches you the progression of sin. You can see something, want something, desire something, and stop yourself before, before you take action, okay? Now listen to the command right after that. Do not err, my beloved brethren. 1 John chapter 2. People mix up 1 John quite a bit. They go into chapter 1 and pervert it. Chapter 1 teaches you to confess your sins and he's faithful to just to forgive you. Don't deny it. If you've sinned, don't deny it. Confess it. Confess it. Because God doesn't have fellowship with darkness when you read the whole chapter. Confess it. Chapter 2 says, My little children, these things I write to you, that ye sin not. I can't believe people use this book to justify sin when it commands you not to sin. And then if you do sin, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means atonement for our sins. So don't deny it if you sin. Confess it to receive forgiveness. Repent of it that you might be saved. I want you to draw your attention to 1 John 2, 29 through 3, 10. If ye know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. But, sorry, beloved, now are we the sons. Oh, I, all right, let me back up. Let me back up. Started quoting and got away from the text here. Behold, what manner of love, 1 John 3, 1. The Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, 
Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Here's our definition of sin. Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Did you hear that? Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Repeating the point of 1 John 2.29, right? Then verse 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Houston, we have a problem, churches say, no, you're of God because mercy will overcome law. But our Lord says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. I'm going to continue. Verse 8. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know what you're doing when you're sinning? You're switching teams. You're going to the devil's team. You're going contrary to what Jesus came in the world to do. He came in the world to destroy sin, and you're committing it. You're building what he tore down. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. His seed, being his word, ought to abide in us. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, neither of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. When you're sinning, you are not of God. You are of your father the devil. Now I said his seed is the word of God. I want to prove that real quick before we move on. First Peter 1 23 says being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Folks, we're not permitted by God to sin. Jesus didn't die so that you could commit adultery or anything else. And ladies and gentlemen, to separate sin and say, well, adultery is not as bad as child molestation. I hate to bring up such disgusting things, but unfortunately, having had thousands upon thousands of discussions with people over this very subject matter over the last 25 years, it has gotten to the point where I can't find too many sins that people are disgusted by anymore, even when they call themselves Christians. Because most people I talk to have just come to the conclusion that we're just all so messed up, we can't help but do perverted things. The only exception to that so far, and I think this is going to go away based on things that are going, is when I bring up child molestation. Adultery and child molestation are no different. Their fornication, unlawful sexual intercourse. You know, there is not one single New Testament scripture that comes outright and forbids with the language of thou shall not commit child molestation, but people still agree that it's the disgusting sin. How can you reason that and not the other? I can't, I can't, I, I can't think that you're being reasonable. You know what James 2.10 says? Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And don't excuse that and say, oh, he's talking about the old law. He's not. Verse 12, that same context, so speaking and so do, is they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. The old law, the law of Moses, was not the law of liberty. We are now under the law of liberty, right? 
James 1.25, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth there not in him being a forgetful hearer, him being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man should be blessed in his deed. Ladies and gentlemen, we're under the perfect law of liberty. If you offend at one point, you are guilty of all. James 2.11, right in between of the two verses that I just mentioned, he has said, do not commit adultery. He said, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. That's the scriptural point. If you think somebody's going to be lost for any sin, you must consistently conclude, based on James 2, 10 through 12, and the entirety of God's word, that you'll be equally lost for all sins. Once you begin to excuse any sin, you are then, to be consistent, going to have to excuse all sin. And the Lord doesn't do that. He condemns it all. You know, Jesus died to purchase the church, right? I want you to think about this language. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, the context is he's talking about here, uh, talking about marriage and, and talking about the church, using marriage to illustrate things in the church. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Our Savior wants to present us to him, his body, the church, his people, unto the Father, holy and without blemish. You're out there transgressing the law of Christ. You are not holy, and you are not without blemish. Holiness is defined in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. This disease of a little bit of sin is okay has gotten so broad and wide that people think as long as I'm sinning just a little, I'm okay. And then they get to define what is a little. I'm just committing a little adultery. I'm just drinking a little bit of alcohol. I'm just stealing a little bit of things. I'm just telling little white lies. Blah, 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 blah. You are lost. When we look at scriptures, like the fornicator in Corinth, right? What was the church told in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 11? They were told, to deliver, in verse 5, such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that they may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Cast him out. He could only come back if he repented. You keep reading, right? Why? Because your glory is not good. No, you're not a little leaven, left the whole lump, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Cast out sinners from among the saints. Why? Because sin will spread. Why? Because Ecclesiastes 9, 18, right? We talked about it earlier. One sinner destroyeth much good. Houston, we have a problem. Do you know that grace teaches you not to sin? You know how few people know that? 95% of those churches and preachers pass right over what grace does. They'll say grace saves and they limit it to that. But the Bible teaches in Titus 2, 11 through 14, the grace of God that bringeth salvation and appeared to all men, teaching us that. What's teaching us? Grace. 
Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know what that doesn't say? That he might keep us in iniquity and partially purify him a sinful people, zealous of some good and some evil. No, grace teaches us not to sin, point blank. A relationship with our Lord is one that requires us to be in the light, 1 John 1 and verse 7, to abide in his doctrine. 2 John 1 and verse 9 says, Whosoever transgresseth abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. You step beyond the doctrine of Christ, his teaching, you don't have God. Who does Jesus save? Hebrews 5, 8, 9. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. All that obey him. All that obey him. Houston, we have a problem. You're telling people down there that they go get remarried. That they can be in fornication. When the Bible says, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. You like chapter 7, why don't you read the context? Because you're dishonest. You want to justify sinful people to continue in sin. You want to tell them that mercy and grace will abound. God says, no, it won't. No, it won't. You don't get grace and, you don't get, you don't get grace and mercy if you don't repent. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. You know who taught that? Jesus Christ. Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you, but nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In that context, there were, he was talking to people that thought bad things happened to bad people, and he was teaching them that that's not the case. And he commanded twice, repent or perish. You know what these false churches and false teachers want? They want your numbers. They want your money. That's what they're moved by. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. There were false prophets among the people, even as there should be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now a long time lingers not and their damnation slumbers not. This is what those churches and those preachers know. They know if they tell you to stop sinning that they're going to lose people. They are. Because people want to hear a doctrine that says, I'm okay in my sins. Here's the problem with that. You're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. From the time that Jesus came to this world and began preaching, he taught repentance. Matthew 4, 17. Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, repentance is about turning away from sin. It's not staying in sin. He's not the atoning sacrifice for you to continue in sin. We talked about this in 1 John 2 and verse 1. These things I write unto you, that ye sin not. Folks, converted people are supposed to be changed people. Our citizenship is supposed to be in heaven, Philippians 3.20. We're not supposed to walk according to the lust 
of this world. We're not supposed to love this world. We're supposed to understand that this world is going to pass away as well as the lust therein. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want people in His eternal home that cannot and will not obey Him, that cannot and will not put to death the desires of the flesh. Let me ask you a question. Those people, I talked to this Clovis guy. I'm not going to directly quote him because I I didn't record the conversation or have anything that he wrote to prove it. Let me just let me just forget what I just said. Let me just say this. Many conversations I've had, people talk as though lust is something that can't be controlled. But do you know what the Bible contains? A command, and not just one, but I'm just going to give you one. Dearly beloved, 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, because Peter is writing to people that were on flight because of persecution. And he, by the Holy Spirit, said this, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That is to refrain, to hold oneself off of. Let me ask you a question. How many of you parents out there, how many of you parents out there have had, will have, or can imagine, maybe you're not a parent, imagine this, imagine having a 15-year-old child. Your 15-year-old child comes home and says, when the police knock on the door, tell them that I'm not here. And you look at them and you say, what did you do? And your 15-year-old child tells you that they did something horrible sexually to a 5-year-old at the park. How many of you would look at your 15-year-old son or daughter and say, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. I have unconditional love for you. Number one, if you're that person, there ain't no hope for you. You're a disgusting person. And if you are the person who gets this illustration, you just got the upset stomach that I got by even mentioning it as an illustration. How in the world do you think our father looks at us when we sin? You remember what happened when he decided the first time to destroy the world? He saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the father heart was only evil continually, Genesis 6, 5. It grieved him at his heart, verse 6. He was sorry that he made man, verse 7. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because Noah was a just man, Genesis 6 and verse 9, and perfect in his generations and walked with God. Do you get how the Lord looks at things? He's disgusted. He abhors. He hates You know, there are people out there that say, oh, God hates the sinner or hates the sin, not the sinner. You know, you can't separate sin from sinners. (laughs) One doesn't exist without the other. And you know what the Bible says about God's mindset? Psalm 5, 4 and 5, among many other passages, thou art a God that hath, that thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. He doesn't just hate iniquity. He hates all workers 
of iniquity. That's what caused him to destroy the world the first time and again the second. And you think that that church and that preacher that are lying to you are telling you how to get to heaven? No, ladies and gentlemen, they're giving you the gospel of damnation. You need to walk away from that. Those people, those churches, go read about the way converted individuals are. You know, let, let me do it for you. Let me do it for you, and you can follow along. And I'm, I'm going to wrap up here in just, just a couple of minutes, okay? Just bear with me, all right? I want you to hear from the mind of God so that you don't listen to these false churches and teachers and preachers out there. Forget about what name they got up on a sign and how little pretty they look in their suits and ties and what, what they, they say they're offering unto you. Look at how they're contradicting God, the judge, the one Jesus Christ that you'll stand before. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If ye, then be, if, ye then, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory. You hear, you hear that? You're now, your life is in Christ. He is your world. He is your life. It's not your job. It's not your spouse. It's not your children. It's not your pleasures. He says, mortify. That means put to death. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you've put off the old man with his deeds. And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, bar barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye." And above all, put on these charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spirit songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. What was just taught to the people in Colossae? As God's people, live not according to your former lust but according to his desire. Well, think about that last verse I read. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, whatsoever you say or do, right? Do it by the authority of Christ. Not your own desires, not your own wants, by his authority. You got to get away from these people that are telling you that which is contrary to the Lord. I'm going to give you two, two things in conclusion. Proverbs 19.27 says, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that caused the heir for the words of knowledge. Stop listening to them. Uh, and then stop the fellowship with them. Walk away from those preachers and those churches. Ephesians 5, 1 through 11, be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, 
nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Did you hear that? Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Haven't you heard something just like that? We just read it in Colossians 3, right? Notice where this letter takes us even further. It says, Be ye not therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light and Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Ladies and gentlemen, these preachers, these churches, they are seeking to send you to eternal destruction. You need to get out of their grasp. I get it. They're smooth talking. They're good at perverting the scriptures. What I just read to you is an abundance of clarity. You go back and you read the whole chapters. You go back and you read the whole book. It is consistent. It is consistent contextually and under the covenant that we live, which is Christ's New Testament. Over and over again, from the days Jesus walked on earth to the book of Revelation, Stop sinning. You are not going to be saved in a state of sin. You got to hear it. Though that do his commandments, Revelation 22, 14, are those that have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city. Not those, folks, that these preachers and churches are telling you it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. They're twisting scripture. Start reading context. Yes, they use verses, but they twist them. They tell you, let me tell you what this means. Your soul is at stake. My part, my part is to do what I'm doing right now, to warn, to tell. I'm being a watchman for you. I hope you listen. Reach out to me. Reach out to me. I'd love to help you. Love to help you. Love to help you turn away from sin. I thank you for listening. These podcasts on these subjects are a little difficult for me to maintain my control. I am a gospel preacher, not as a job, but it's the very core of my being. I live to help people be saved. Therefore, I abhor those that are doing evil, Romans 12 verse 9, and seeking to cause those that ought to be saved to be damned. Look. Few are going to be saved, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Go read it. Go read the context. Start Matthew 5, 1 and read through chapter 7. Go read it in context. Few are going to be saved. Are you going to be one of the few or the many? Thank you for listening. If all goes according to plan, we'll be back on Sunday with a lesson in 1 Peter. Until then, I'll say goodbye. Until next time.